You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. Before we begin, if you have a grief story to tell, or you work with a dead, dying, or grieving, and you'd like to talk back, please email me at info at ongriefpod.com. You might be able to be on the show. This is On Grief, a podcast about death. Episode 16, Complex Grief. Complex grief can mean a number of different things. What it primarily means in a clinical sense is grief that has taken over a person's life, grief that has become insurmountable to a person, or grief that has morphed from simple grief into something that is of more concern. She understood that she was having complex grief. She sought treatment and how she unraveled the way that a traumatic event that happened when she was one year old affected the rest of her life. My guest today is Lindsay Joy Taylor of the Joyful Jewelry Box. Welcome, Lindsay. Lindsay, let's go back to the very beginning of your story and please tell me what happened to your mother and how that affected you. My history and experience with grief and loss is that my mother was murdered when I was 13 months old. And so Naturally, grief has been a very significant part of my entire life, and yet it's also been a really interesting process um, in the sense of watching it evolve over time, right? So not only do I not remember her or did I have a chance to build a relationship with her, but I also grew up really feeling like I had a strong sense of coping, if you will, since I didn't necessarily know anything different. Of course, it was difficult to live without her, but but I just, I didn't necessarily know any different. Right. And so, um, being so young, even though we didn't necessarily sweep her death under the rug in my family, I don't know that we talked about it in a way that was life-giving per se. You know, we were all in so much shock and trauma, um, that I would say a lot of our conversations revolved around that. And so many of us in my family were really high functioning, not so many of us, all of us in my family are really high functioning. And so we picked up and we moved on. And because I was so young, I really internalized a lot of that in the sense of, well, I don't remember her. Well, it's been so many years. Well, I didn't get a chance to build a relationship with her. Um, And I get so much feedback about the strength and resilience. Why maybe I'm not supposed to struggle. Right. And so as a child, certainly there were a lot of gaps where it really felt hard to not have her around. Absolutely. But it wasn't until I became an adult in my early 20s when I really started to see the effects of my grief and the impact of losing her and all that trauma start to seep out in other ways and started to understand that just because I didn't necessarily struggle with my grief in obvious ways, per se, it still was very much there right? I couldn't just not acknowledge it and have it not impact me. The non-acknowledgement ultimately made it bigger and stronger. And so now as an adult, I really am learning how to navigate 
what it's like to carry such deep grief for somebody who's been gone for 35 years. Um, again, for with somebody that I don't necessarily remember. Um, and holding space for all that I lost and all that she lost. And, and really trying to help other people learn and do the same with their own experience. We've talked about child grief on this show before, and a lot of people seem predisposed to looking at kids and judging by their reactions, saying, okay, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, meaning that they don't bring up what happened to the child. Is that what happened with you? I would say yes and no. Certainly, I think my age was a significant factor, right, in the sense that you're not necessarily going to walk up to a 10-year-old little girl and say, so tell me about your dead mom, right? There's all sorts of boundaries and limitations and not limitations, but again, you know, it's just really that just any adult shouldn't take it upon themselves to, to dig into a child's life like that. And so um, certainly it wasn't not acknowledged per se, but what I, I sort of felt it in the, in the reverse, that people were always so quick to comment about how strong I was or how resilient I was or how I never let things get me down or not things I should say, but the circumstances that I grew up with. And so I got a lot of feedback in that way. But again, it was mostly from adults because children on the playground aren't going to say, so where's your mom? I mean, as I say that, certainly I think that that actually does happen in some instances, but not in the, not in the essence of that the child is prepared for the answer or um, for a dialogue about that. You know what I mean? It's, it's kids are um, impulsive, right? And so, um, Certainly there were some of those conversations, but um, generally speaking, I was actually pretty lucky. You know, I hear about um, some really hard cases where children didn't have your typical nuclear family and how they were teased for that. And so um, I, luckily, people have been very gracious in my life in that way. Um, But one thing that I have noticed as an adult and looking back, and what's interesting is I can't say that I remember these instances specifically whether or not it's because I was so young or whether or not they've been blocked out or both. But um, in going through old paperwork and whatnot, like from Mother's Day, my teachers would have me make cards for my aunt, which I think is very sweet and intuitive and all of those things. But also as an adult, those are the opportunities where you can facilitate a conversation with a child who doesn't have one of the most significant people in their life. Right. And so I think that generally people were tried to be as sensitive as possible. What you get more of is when people ask questions that they weren't necessarily prepared for the answer. Right. And so that's where I think I get hooked up or have gotten hooked up more in the past, because while I'm an open book, it's not my job to take care of you when you weren't prepared for the answer, you know? So I would say it's been much in that framework that um, nobody has directly said, you need to get over this. Nobody has said, why do you feel this way? You don't even remember her. But I know, (laughs) I know that that exists enough that I've internalized it, right? And getting all of that positive reinforcement as a child, um, which I want to clarify is not a bad thing. (laughs) I don't want to say I got this positive reinforcement and it was terrible. No, it was really great. And it actually equipped me 
with a lot of the confidence to be able to move forward and build a, a meaningful life in spite of how it had began. And yet what I mean by that is uh, we don't have to then flip it on its, its head and then go to the negative side, but more of like, I want to learn more about you. I want to learn more about what makes you tick. Who are the people that are important to you? Um, and creating that, that opportunity for them to be able to share about this person that they wonder just as much about. Did you get the impression when you were a child that they just didn't know what to say? Yes. Yes and no. Um, I would say for me, what was interesting, again, because I was so young for, you know, probably the first half or maybe even third of my life. Um, uh, how do I say this? I knew that people already knew. Does that make sense? So it felt like an elephant in the room of like how to navigate those instances because what did they know? What did they think? A lot of those types of things. And definitely they don't know what to say. I think again, because this isn't always the situation, but certainly in my circumstance, it is very shocking. It is very tragic. It's, it's off-putting to hear. And yet I live with that reality, right? And so there's not necessarily any platitude or any comfort that you can say that'll make it better. And while I don't want to minimize the effort there, it just turns into a situation where now I'm caring for you, where I'm having to fix the discomfort of my reality and what that created for you, you know? And so observing that so much as a child in other experiences in other interactions, in the adults around me, um, or conversations that happened about me around me, right? Again, because um, because when something so something like that happens, a lot of adult conversations are happening all around you all the time. You know, it's sort of unavoidable at a certain point in time. And so, I think I internalized that and really adopted this societal belief that that you manage your story, that you keep it clean so that you don't impact other people with it, if you will. People listening to this might not think that your experience was a common experience, but it actually is more common than we might think. Yes, thank you. So I didn't come across any other kids. Oh my goodness, spit it out. I didn't know any other kids who could relate to what I was going through. You know what I mean? So many other, certainly I think that that doesn't mean that there weren't other um, children with single parents, right? But we weren't talking about it. And I would say certainly none of them were such extreme circumstances like mine. Maybe it was that their parents got divorced or one of their parents left. And, and what I mean when I say not as extreme, I mean in the sense of um, certainly that's tragic for that family and for the individuals involved. I more mean in the sense of being victimized by somebody else. And so that was a massive piece of feeling really like an outsider, not only an outsider from my family, because I was the only one who didn't remember this wonderful and remarkable woman, but there also weren't other children that had a similar experience, especially too, because now that we were living in this tiny town, homicide wasn't something that happens there, you know, very much at all. Whereas um, before that, we lived in San Jose and it's a much bigger city. And I would say homicide's a daily occurrence. So um, 
you know, it was just, it really flipped it on its head in that way, in the sense of really feeling very, very different. Finally spit it out. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about the turning point for you when it became clear to you that maybe you needed to seek therapy. So I, I briefly touched on this, but growing up, um, as much as there certainly looking back were a lot of um, hints of what I was actually dealing with, I was also really high functioning, right? And um, I didn't get in trouble. I had some really long-term and meaningful friendships. And so all of the typical markers really said that I was doing okay. And I was, I certainly was. Um, but there were a lot of parts that weren't doing okay that weren't getting any attention along with that, right? And so it was probably in my early 20s when it literally started to like seep out of me. Um, I couldn't manage my emotions. I couldn't self-soothe or regulate. I didn't like people touching me. Um, I generally just felt like I was going to explode at any moment in time. Um, and there was this one particular instance where I was with my best friend and she actually tapped me on the back and I turned around and I was slapped her, right? Without even like, um, just without even any understanding of what was triggering me or why I was having such a strong response. You know, at that point in time, certainly I understood that I didn't have a mom and lived with grief uh, to a certain degree, but I had no understanding of the level of trauma that was happening. It really just, I couldn't manage myself anymore is the best way to describe it. Um, and my sister, I have an older brother and an older sister who, um, are six and eight years older than me. So we are, we're pretty close, but also we're not close at all in the sense that they were both gone by the time I was even 12 years old. Um, so we have a very different experience in that way, but my sister had a really positive experience with counseling in college. And so I tried to follow her footsteps and went to the, the counseling center at school and had unfortunately a really negative experience um, that really just sort of solidified and exacerbated everything I already told you. You know, now after doing this work and, and walking this road for so many years, now I understand a lot more about how they handle things, but it was a short term model. And ultimately she said, what you're dealing with is too severe. We can't help you. Here's a referral list. See you later. And we didn't even finish the session. And, um, and that left a really deep mark on me. You know, I didn't end up getting back into therapy for three years and all that to say though, fast forward to now when it's one of the, the most significant tools that I use to help with my grief and trauma. And so I really just want to clarify that for individuals out there. If you're you've had a negative experience with therapy or you're considering it, it, it definitely takes some trial and error to find your right person and the right fit, but it's absolutely worth it when you do, if that's the kind of support that you're looking for. That wasn't a positive experience, but then I moved on and found, um, have worked with a couple others that have been wonderful. My first real therapist, if you will, was super helpful, but I want to, I want to clarify that it wasn't trauma informed therapy by any means. And so I was really working on my relationships again, instead of necessarily my grief and trauma and how that was impacting my relationships. Right. And so, but that set the stage for really understanding what I was living with, what I was dealing with. 
And fast forward to now, and I work with a trauma-informed, somatic-trained um, therapist who we do a lot of mindfulness work and a lot of body-based work, and we've started to actually navigate into martial arts a little bit as well. And it has been probably the clearest mirror back for me um, in terms of learning how both my body and mind respond to things and really trying to integrate that trauma and train my body to, to be able to regulate when it gets triggered. To unlock the rest of this episode, visit patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. It's only $5 to unlock over 20 hours of content.